calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving god, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. One of my partners and I, we tried so hard to put a schedule together. Like we were sitting there like, okay, I've been quarantined since this date. And if you were to quarantine until this date, like then maybe two weeks from this date, we could see each other. The protest started and I was like, I mean, we're not going to quarantine and miss protests so we can maybe right. have sex a month from now. <laughs> and one day your kids are like, where were you during the protest? I, mean, I was like- working on a Google sheet <laughs> in bed alone. Like, bed alone, Black Lives Matter, <laughs> but my Black sex life matters. So. I'm diking out, you're diking out. Let's dike out together. See what it's all about. Diking out, diking out, diking out, diking out. Hi, and welcome to Diking Out, a podcast whose lukewarm takes on queer culture have been stirring up the LGBTQ community for three years. I'm Carolyn Bergier. I'm Melody Kamali. And today we are diking out with comedian and writer Ashley Ray about solo polyamory. You'll want to stick around for that because Ashley is just so awesome. She's very funny, cool, keeps it real. Uh, We had so much fun talking to her uh, about this topic, and I think that you guys are going to love it too. Truly the coolest. I have the biggest friend crush on her. Yes. After that conversation. And if, if you don't know her, you will. She's got a lot of projects coming up. Yeah, a lot of cool stuff happening, and I hope we can uh, collaborate with her somehow, uh, again, maybe with an upcoming show or something, which we promise we are working on getting a show going. And just a quick update, if you haven't yet, well, first, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and our Patreon. I know we talk about it a lot. That's what keeps the podcast going, honestly. Patreon.com slash Diking Out. If it's not up there now, it will be there in a couple of days, I promise. We did an episode that's going to be Patreon only with Jess Henderson of our plant episode fame talking about mushrooms, the magic kind, and a whole bunch of other things. And of course, Jess was hilarious and wonderful and kind of scared me a little bit. Not just herself, her experience. (laughs) 
So it was uh, intense. Yeah, it was not what I expected to hear from uh, her experiences with mushrooms. So it was interesting to to hear that. And again, always so much fun to talk to her and hear what she has going on with plants in her life. She's doing a lot of cool stuff. So for $5 a month, you can get access to those types of extra episodes that we do. For $10 a month, you can join our Facebook group, which has been so much fun. And I love everybody on it. Everyone's so fun and cool and nice. And it's like, to me, the the happiest little corner of Facebook. <laughs> I ignore everything else on Facebook except for this group. The only reason I'm logging on to Facebook.com these days. For real. And then if you want ad-free episodes and for us to follow you on social media, you can sign up at $15 a month. And then uh, for $20 a month, you get free access to any of our virtual and eventually live events that we have. And also every other month, we're doing a live hangout with our patrons at this level. And September is going to be our first one. So that means that you need to sign up at this level by the end of August with the way that Patreon works to participate in that September hang. Also, you know, we've been diking out for three years now, or at least I have. And (laughs) I think to celebrate, Melody and I are going to re-record episode one of this podcast. Yeah, very interesting to see. A lot of people discover diking out and start from the beginning, which I (laughs) don't tend to do when I discover a podcast, but it's definitely an approach and we want to kind of give a heads up of what to right. expect because <laughs> it is it's a lot of confusion for those who do start from the beginning yeah you know episode one was something that that we did to be like this is what the podcast is going to be and obviously there have been a lot of changes so it wasn't really relevant anymore so when melody came on we took that first episode down but if you're new and you want to hear it, uh, I will put it up on Patreon as a relic of Diking Out's past. So another yeah. reason to join Patreon. Why not? And Melody and I are going to re-record and have a new episode one. This is who we are. This is what we're all about. If you're just joining us now, just diking out late in the game, better late than never. And you'll have that waiting for you uh Kind of soon, you know, what is time anymore? <laughs> Nothing ever seems like it's a, a dire rush to get done <laughs> as we are still in a pandemic, even though people are going back to college, just seems to be pretending that that people aren't still dying at a frightening <laughs> yeah. pace of this. What can you do? Another thing with our listeners, you know, we should have known Melody that we're not going to please everyone. What are you talking can't. about our name? I just <sighs> we're we're never we're never going to please everyone, but I didn't realize it would be a house so divided between you haulers and diking otters and neither yeah. and the few that still love Susan. But at least I feel like the people who love Susan also understand and are are willing yeah, to Yeah, we move got forward. some nice messages saying I understand why yes. you want to change the name. I just love Susan. <laughs> Uh, I don't know, Carolyn. This, this is all you. I, you, you are so type A. <laughs> you love to name things and I have like, to name things. yeah. I don't, I don't know. I we got one message that I did agree with that was like, why do we need a name? <laughs> um, you know, I, 
I'm fine with being referred to as listener. Right, right. You know why we need a name? Because one friend of mine asked me, are you ever going to name your listeners? And I'm so open to suggestion that like right away I was like, oh my God, is that something I should have been doing? Why aren't we doing this? This will be like a really fun thing. And then we can have merch around it. It'll be like a little code thing and people in the community and be like, oh, are you a Susan? You know, kind of a uh, girl in red <laughs> code. Just... I was trying to build a movement here. I, I know. One little seed was planted and I ran away with it. So the objections to to U-Hauler, some were saying, well, U-Hauler, U-Haul isn't an international company. It's not about the company. It's about the the idea of committing, committing fast and hard. And it doesn't have to be with another person because some people were like, I'm single. So I like diking otters. This isn't about your relationship status. It's about your relationship with us. Your your solo polyamorous relationship (laughs) with both me and Melody. Oh, you haul man. with us. I just realized that when I came on the podcast as a guest oh, a little over a year ago, you guys were talking about this. Yeah, I know. <laughs> that we're a mess, you know. What's more queer than just being super messy and dramatic about things that don't really matter? And I'm needing think- to define what are we <laughs> labeling, trying to label ourselves when labels don't mean anything, but they also mean everything. The tagline of this podcast Mm -hmm. and i'm gonna stick with you haulers okay i'm calling it i'm gonna put on my my ref shirt i got my referee haircut and (laughs) saying we're we're gonna stick with you haulers and you know we can look into other popular moving companies um across this globe what if people wrote in what's popular in their country and we could make different options Oh my gosh. Well, not or just cut that idea entirely. <laughs> now you're getting into the sect of queerness that's like the super micro labeling <laughs> that's like yeah. Getting how niche can we get that would also be queer, but you know, sometimes I'll refer to you folks as you haulers, sometimes I'll refer to you as listeners. Whatever. It's not a big deal. Let's just keep it moving mm-hmm. to more important things like what's going on with Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. <laughs> we talked about this two weeks ago and then I see it light up on Twitter and a lot of people seem to be team Denise Richards. I'm mm-hmm. seeing a lot of queer people posting upset that the other housewives were trying to drag her out of the closet. Pretty much. out her. Yeah. And that it was like bullying, like queer bullying, anti-queer bullying under the guise of like, oh, you're not being honest with us. But also when it comes to things like being queer, there's a difference between being closeted and lying to people. So yeah. (laughs) Recap us, Melody. Yeah. I agree that we're watching pretty much a public outing. It's I'm for all intents and purposes, I'm team Denise. People seem to get confused about what that means. If you're team Denise, do you agree that this didn't happen between her and Brandy Glanville? Mm. No, I still believe that they absolutely had sex. I just don't think (laughs) it's up to the rest of the cast members to make sure she on the record comes out with it while she is married to a man and in a crazy custody battle 
yeah. with Charlie Sheen. You know, yeah. they're only going to use that against her. And these women just don't seem to care. So something interesting happened where Garcelle, my new favorite cast member, was like, well, if we're being honest, like just started pitching questions at Lisa Rinna. Lisa Rinna is the one who's really trying to drag this out of Denise, get her to say it on the record. Also, Denise's actual good friend of like decades. The ladies had a baby shower where Denise was expected to be there at the last minute. She didn't come because she knew Brandy Glanville was going to be there. So now they're all like, she's clearly lying. It's not that she's sick. Like, of course. Yeah. These women, uh, this is like the one storyline of this season. This is why this is my least favorite franchise. They stick to one thing and they drag it out over so many episodes. It's really wild. You know, you're always saying that the Real Housewives franchise is so gay and that there's so much like queer stuff happening and now here's something that's like actually super like two women having sex but it's being handled in like a terrible way that's like yeah ruining somebody's life so you know I for the sake of all you Housewives fans and all the real Housewives out there, just go back to to your drunk, sloppy makeouts and yeah, your wine love confessions and your your dance floor grinding. You know, just yeah. keep it clean, keep it safe for everybody, make it a safe space, keep it implied like it was before. Yeah. That being said, I don't know. I really do think Real Housewives of Beverly Hills is profoundly boring, especially this season so I was excited for that shakeup but I have been binging Real Housewives of Atlanta and I am on season three and it opens up with one of the cast members coming out as bisexual and we get to see her partner and maybe because it's 2010 the way the other cast members talk about it is so homophobic biphobic Um, I'm interested in seeing how the queerness of that show plays out and if they get better about their vocabulary because they're just denying that she's even by they're shaming her for sleeping with this woman. It's nuts. I guess some other big things that we should talk about. I don't know. The DNC convention was this week. Democratic wow. national convention. What a riot. <laughs> <laughs> Held virtually. That's what's going on in these United States. And I wasn't, Tuning in, uh, wasn't feeling like it was must-see programming. I did watch AOC because she's my rep and I love her. And she did a procedural uh, nomination of one Bernard Sanders. And they give her like one minute too. Yeah. Well, I think they gave everybody like that amount of time to say their nomination, but it, you know, it would have been nice if they gave her more time to speak uh, throughout yeah. the convention. But that's not, you know, the Democratic Party is not super progressive and still kind of uh, resisting the progressive wing of the party. So instead, they gave a lot of time to Republicans who are anti-Trump, which, you know, I, I'm not not generally excited about any of this. Yeah. So, you know, last week we talked a little bit about people just being so, uh, like angry and negative about Kamala Harris and really didn't, uh, 
given and passion support of her just uh you know maybe we don't need to do this right now and maybe once she's in office hold her accountable and of course that yeah. was uh too supportive for for some of you i really thought we were supporting the concept of voting um <laughs> yeah, i i know i think we were just like hey maybe vote and this is important because while this isn't what many of us wanted in the end even though there is just a long list of things wrong with democratic party it will never match the horror show that is the other side yeah. of the the aisle and then some what was the tweet it was just like ugh, ugh diking at supporting kamala harris god like yeah it was like i mean really i'm i'm supporting voting blue and that's it it's just a general but also, what if we were supporting Kamala Harris, you know, first major party, woman of color, vice presidential nominee who has been, uh, you know, kicking ass in the Senate? I mean, if anything, we objectify her and we will do better about that. Um, yeah, that's the most problematic thing about us and Kamala yeah, Harris. I truly. Couldn't, I couldn't watch her because I'm like, I will be thinking inappropriate thoughts about her. And I don't want to objectify Kamala Harris. We'll work on that. But it, yeah. honestly, I don't have controversial takes, I don't think, on her. Uh, I did check I on my Twitter, and it looks like three years ago I did tweet, Kamala Harris is wife material. Kamala Kamali. <laughs> okay? It has a good ring to it. Kamala Kamali. I really love it. I uh, got uh, one whole like, and I will not be deleting it. I just think she's hot, and that's it. <laughs> one thing that I want to talk about from the convention that I did watch is that the chicks, uh, formerly the Dixie Chicks, performed the national anthem, and it was what I thought a great rendition. Again, me speaking as someone who has never been one for country music, but... Oh, man. Natalie Maines gives me, and has been since the beginning, giving me lesbian vibes or queer vibes. Yeah. I mean... I know she's recently divorced from from a man. I just keep I just keep waiting. I'm like one of these days. <laughs> she's giving you queer vibes because that latest album is just a huge fuck you to men, not just yeah, you know the man that cheated on her. But I mean, didn't that Earl song just speak to to all of us? <laughs> cool. Now someone's going to email us about being gay bullies again. And listen. It's just a pretty queer album to me. And they're best friends with Fortune Feimster. So we love that. We're yes. counting it as gay culture. Yes. The album rules. I don't even listen to country music. I have a girlfriend who loves it. And it's been playing a lot in our apartment. And it's really good. Gaslighter. That's inherently queer, like political because they were gaslighted by the fucking USA. Yeah. How many years ago? I know yeah. it's about the ex who cheated on her, gaslit her, but you know, it can be applied to a lot. Some of the commentary I really liked about them performing at the DNC, it was like, oh, the, the only speakers who were against the Iraq war are the only like representation yeah. for people who were against the Pretty war much. in Iraq and the Democratic Party. Yeah. Bernie Sanders and the chicks were the two people in 
<laughs> this is our, our true ah, representation. I don't know. What's the gayest thing you did this week? Listen, I mean, I did a really gay thing. I did a really gay thing this week. I participated in the first ever Iranian pride event. Yes. They've never had pride and they'll not for a long time have an in-person kind of parade. It's severely illegal to be gay in Iran, but I was reached out to by this organization called Shishreng, which translates to six colors, which is essentially the pride flag. And they put on a virtual pride. They had participants from all over the world. It happened on Friday the 21st, tried to catch as much as, as I could because it was like early in the morning, which was evening in Iran, but they're releasing the videos from it. And so far, it's really cool to see trans-Iranians, gay-Iranians, Iranians all over the world, basically just showing their solidarity. I did a pre-taped kind of talk where my mom was on FaceTime on my laptop and I was recording myself via my phone. So I just wanted her there in case I, cause I gave the little speech in Farsi and I was like, nice. just kind of shout out if I messed up a word because I've been so out of practice with my Farsi. And then I thought to spring it on my mom to grab my laptop and hold it up to the computer. I was like, do you want to say something? And she gave a really heartfelt little speech and she got choked up and she started to cry and it's the sweetest thing I've ever seen. Um, so that is the gayest thing. I was getting choked up when you were telling me about it. I was getting emotional and I'll post it. Your, your mom just keeps scoring so many points. (laughs) She is truly wish she was all our moms. Yeah, and that's what she says in the video. Uh, I was like, "Just t- can you tell them all that you'll be their surrogate mom if they need one? And I think that got to her because she started to talk and immediately started to cry. Well, now I'm about to cry. My eyes are uh, covered with tear water. Yeah, I can also, I'll, I'll post that, but I could also post yesterday. I took Allie to get an endoscopy and she was sedated and FaceTiming me from the doctors. They're like, you're really not good enough to leave yet. And she was just like, oh, just let me go. My girlfriend's here. Please let, like, they were like, who's here with you? Who's outside with you? Because they wouldn't let us go in. We had to wait outside for. Yeah, because of COVID and stuff. Yeah. Um, Also interesting, literally everyone in this medical office had a mask on except for the receptionists who were the ones interacting with people the most. So ridiculous. That's crazy. I haven't seen that yet. I've been to some doctor's appointments and they have been... They had them under their chin. That's crazy. Yeah. And screaming and, you know, talking to everyone else who was complying and wearing a mask. And then they were a little homophobic. They said, um, who's here with you? And Allie was like, my girlfriend, she's outside. And they're like, okay, what's his name? And she's like, it's a she. Uh, And it's my girlfriend. So I think that was planted in her head because once she was uh, drugged up, she just kept talking about how much she loved her girlfriend. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then on the ride back, I'll edit together a video of all the footage I took. It is Allie just crying over how much she loves me. (laughs) That one point she goes, I just love watching Housewives with you. I love watching anything with you. I love you so much. And what if people don't have someone to 
pick them up and just sobbing at how like at the thought of someone doesn't have a melody to pick them up uh very sweet okay well what about you did what you do what was the gayest thing you did this last week ah the gayest thing i did this last week well i had a dream last night where i was talking to some random lesbian about the show south of nowhere and that felt very gay Uh, i haven't watched (laughs) south of nowhere in a while but i guess it's sitting happily in my subconscious and that is my go-to conversation starter for dream carolyn The other thing is, if you'll indulge me in talking a little bit more about house hunting, uh, there was a property upstate that came with a storefront attached to it that was a uh, soap store, and COVID closed down the soap store, and they sold the business. So now this house with a storefront is open, and I pitched to Cecilia, what if we got this and I make a tea shop? (gasps) It's on like this little, I'm like, I can do diking out still from there and then have this tea business and feeling inspired from the Jen Richards episode. I was feeling inspired from the Jen Richards episode. I mean, at first I said, I can learn to make soaps. I could make a a sapphic soap shop. There's your name. So, so desperate to get out of the city uh, that I'm considering a retail career, something I have zero experience in making soaps or selling tea, but I will, I will do what it takes in these times. So yeah, still, I think the dream, the dream is gayer, but I'm going to say you're the gay champion of the week and I'm so thrilled that you are part of that event melody and it fills my heart every time I see a a Persian listener or a Persian queer online who feels seen through you being on the podcast and talking about your life and your culture and and your family and it's it's so important and knowing the way that things are in in Iran for queer people my heart goes out and yeah I don't know they really they found me through that event I'm getting so many Iranian gays finding me online and then they can listen to this podcast and feel less alone I don't know I was yeah I hope a last minute thing I got asked to do this last week and after just weeks of heavy depression finally felt like I was at least doing something positive yeah that's my hope with diking out is that it makes people feel less alone but some people like being alone Hmm. sometimes and they like the time that they have to themselves and they uh, don't necessarily want to commit to partnering with someone. Oh, no, I've heard of that. Solo polyamory. Solo polyamory. So today we are diking out with comedian and writer Ashley Ray about solo polyamory. Not sure what that is. You're going to learn about it in just a minute. Ashley has been featured in Vulture, L, The Guardian, The AV Club, and we're so happy to be talking with her today and hopefully can right our past wrongs on the topic of polyamory as we are now older and wiser. We hope Melody wasn't here for our polyamory episode. I don't know if it was episode for uh, I believe it was really early yeah. it just it wasn't really a conversation about polyamory thank god the emails have stopped about it uh, got a lot of emails <laughs> that were like you guys are really wrong about nothing you talked about is really polyamory again older wiser I was just a, a big dummy back then and still 
always have so much to learn. Uh, I learned so much in this conversation. What do you say? Should we get into it? Let's do it. Tell our listeners a little bit about your background, about yourself, your comedy, your writing, just so they get a feel for who you are before we dive in. (laughs) Yeah, I uh, am a writer, comedian, started... Uh, it's super embarrassing, but I actually, my, my performance career started in high school with spoken word. Uh, so that was sort of my original background. Uh, I, I also, I I think from that, you could tell always very gay. Um, the girl who was like in the spoken word thing being like, love is love. So don't tell me what, (laughs) you know, like, like doing that. And when I went to college, I was like, obviously spoken word going to keep doing this. I joined like a spoken word group. Uh, and I just kind of realized, like, I started competing and just got tired of how kind of corny it was. Um, like, I would do these poems that, I mean, I liked writing jokes. I liked being funny and performing. And I would be like, oh, this is like a funny part. And people would just come up after and be like, oh, my God, that was so sad about your dad dying. Like, oh, my God, I just wanted to cry for you. And I would just be like, I, I just like the part where I make you laugh. <laughs> That's how you know you're a comedian is when you yeah. really like to laugh at the trauma in your life. Yeah, I was like, yeah, I know it's sad. Like my dad died, whatever. But like, let's get to the jokes here, you guys. And uh, (laughs) so from there, I kind of started pivoting uh, to writing more comedy. I started working at The Onion back in like 2016, just doing like stand-up shows all around Chicago, started doing open mics. Uh, My first was at Kohl's, uh, which was famous with Rebecca O'Neill, Sarah Sherman at the time were running it. Uh, And they just like put together this like great environment for women, for gay women. I think Chicago open mics were very like male heavy before that. And Kohl's was like this place where they were like, we're going to have female hosts. And if a woman comes, she's going up first. We don't care. So that was like how I kind of realized like, oh, I can make a place for myself in comedy. Like black women can do this. I don't need to be like some queer spoken word girl. Like I can just be like a funny stand-up comedian. Oh, and I write, uh, I'm a freelance writer. (laughs) (laughs) Probably what you know me for is uh, that I write for the AV Club and Vulture and The Guardian and Elle, uh, mostly about TV, uh, movies, uh, and also just my crazy life as a polyamorous queer person. Yeah, so I I do all of that. Yeah, what? How long have you been polyamorous? Is that a question? <laughs> like, yeah. It's like, I, when did you realize? <laughs> yeah, people are always kind of like, it's so new, right? Like, are you trying that? Like within the last year, but. I actually have been poly since I was like 18 years old, uh, which is rare within the poly community. People as old and wise as me. But the way that I kind of came to it uh, is that I was a very uh, pretentious child. Uh, I was (laughs) an asshole. And I like to read like Simone de Beauvoir and like, you know, all of this just like existentialist shit that made like, I just thought I was like so deep. Like I watching Mar Bergman movies, like you fucking high school musical kids don't get me. Uh, and that is a gateway drug to polyamory is just being an <laughs> asshole. But for me, it was very much like I, my mom was a single mom. I never like really saw strong kind of like father figures or, you know, my mom was in this like long distance relationship with my stepdad. So I was always like, oh, you can love someone and they don't have to like be there all the time. And you can mm. like love multiple people. And actually for women, that can be really empowering when we live in this like patriarchal society that says, you know, uses monogamy as a tool against us. So In the beginning, I was just kind of like looking for partners who were cool with different sort of variations of monogamy. My first like serious relationship, uh, we were both queer. He was like this bisexual guy. I was bi. 
we both kind of clicked and we were like, we could get married, but it would be like a spiritual marriage where like you travel and I travel and we have lovers all over the world and country and this will be beautiful. Uh, and so that was like my first like four year relationship. It's a good pitch. Yeah. I was like, this makes sense. And like, I was going to college. He was like staying in my hometown and I was like, right. Duh. Like I'm going to go to college and learn so much. And like, we'll be in love. It was dumb. It's so stupidity is another way people often fall into polyamory. Um, (laughs) And this all I think is like kind of the typical way people do it. Like you're in a relationship and you want to make it work and you guys decide to like be open. So that was like my initial foray. But I would say after graduating college, after breaking up with that guy, uh, our perfect poly engagement did not work out. Um, (laughs) We broke up. Oh, so you never got married. Yeah, we didn't get married. Uh, We were engaged for like three years. And then in the end, oh, he was like a crazy meth addict. And I was just like, why do I deal with this? Like, we don't even live in the same state. Like, I date all these other people (laughs) who aren't putting me through this. So then I moved to Chicago. And that was kind of, I think, my real, like, awakening as a poly person, where I kind of was, like, on my own single setting the terms of my relationships myself. And I was like, I know this is who I am. Like, going forth on OkCupid, that's what we used back in the day, back in 2013. Mm -hmm. Uh, like right. on OkCupid, just being like, I'm Polly, I'm owning this. This is how I want to date. So I would say like seven years is the the real like putting in the work, teaching the people, being about it. And then was it ever since your relationship with your ex fell apart? Is that when you realized that solo polyamory was a thing for you, or, or was I don't know? I solo polyamory the first time I heard that term was through your Guardian article that I read about being solo polyamorous during the pandemic, which I recommend all our listeners read that. Yeah, it's interesting, I guess, because most people don't think about solo poly as like even a form of polyamory. They're mostly just like, so Mm -hmm. you're single and you're slutty or something, (laughs) or you're single and you like, you just cheat on people or something. Like they don't really want to question it. And also it doesn't help that like polyamory is this ever evolving blob. Uh, And especially with the internet, there are so many little communities with like different names for things that are the same thing. Uh, Like originally people would say that I was a relationship anarchist, uh, (laughs) which sounds so (laughs) badass. Yeah. Oh, that's like the coolest thing because polyamory, it's lame. It sounds lame. And I'm embarrassed when it comes up mostly like, uh, but like when I'm like, yeah, I'm a relationship anarchist. That's like, oh wow, what's that? Uh, but <laughs> no it's further questions. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like the same thing. So solo polyamory is where you don't really believe in relationship structures. Uh, traditional mm-hmm. polyamory people go, oh, I have my primary. This is my secondary yep. partner, uh, and so on and so on. Or maybe they go, you know, this is my partner that I see primarily when I'm here, and this is my permanent partner when I see when I live in this place. Uh, With solo polyamory, it's kind of about allowing relationships to develop on their own terms. Um, I have friendships that, you know, to me, we define it as a friendship and other people might look at it and say, you guys are basically dating. This is a relationship. Um, But for us, what we kind of define as a relationship and a friendship is, is very different. For me, it's like we can travel together and have sex all day long. But if I'm not taking you home to meet my mom, that's not necessarily a relationship. Uh, mm. but then I also know there are people that I'm, where I'm dating and they're going to say, I want to know your family. I want to know you on that level. Uh, and so then it's me kind of going, okay, where am I comfortable giving that with some people and where am I not? And how can we have different relationships? So it sounds super complicated, but it's really just dating people. <laughs> it's yeah. just dating people and letting them instead of sort of rushing into these labels of, 
oh, well, we're boyfriend, girlfriend now because we've done this. Or, oh, should we have a conversation about being steady? Or should we have a conversation about defining things because we've been together for this long? Uh, and instead, it's about just sort of saying, what do you want from this relationship? And what do you want from relationships in general? Uh, what's your love language? What, how do I affirm you as someone that I care about and want to affirm and help? And I, I love it. I feel like I have friends who help guide my career and who I love deeply and they love me too. Uh, and I do have boyfriends and I have girlfriends and I have people who I just consider partners, uh, people who I date, who I just kind of, it's nebulous where like people are like, oh, that's your, that's your person in your life. And for me, that's what kind of works. Uh, but I am not someone who requires sort of that, that normal stability of like, this is my primary, this is, we have our rules. Uh, I like to kind of set the boundaries individually with myself and with my partner. Um, so there are times where I'll be like, hey, we've just started dating. And if the person is you know, more um, comfortable with us being monogamous for a period of time, uh, being solo poly kind of allows me to do that, to say, hey, I'm just going to like see this person for like three, four months, see how we click and how we are together. Versus if I had a primary where it's kind of like, oh, no, I can't really invest that sort of one-on-one -on -one time with you because I do have a primary that I'll be like seeing and, you know, obviously needing to give attention to. So for me, that was kind of one of the biggest differences. And I also found myself in a lot of situations where like I was dating someone who had a primary and I hated, hated being called a secondary. I hated this sort of like elevator style, like, like, I like, you're not a fucking king and we, this is not a monarchy or whatever. Like we're not your right. that you get to like line up. Uh, I hate that whole idea of it. So for me, being solo poly is about breaking that down. I mean, that's very understandable to not like those terms. And, and from friends I know who are polyamorous or have been in polyamorous relationships, it seems like a lot of the conflict that comes into the relationships is from this primary, secondary, or they were in a relationship and now one of them wants to change their primary over to the secondary. And then the yeah. other primary was like, what the fuck? I thought, what's the I, point of having I a primary? Your, yeah. It, what's the yeah. point? I, if you're going to change. It. Honestly, God bless polyamorous people with primaries because I couldn't do it. I mean, I know one guy that I, I was seeing him and as we started seeing each other, he was very much into the, I want you to be my secondary and my wife is my primary and I, and I want to have a third. And I was like, nope, I'm opting out. This is not good. And also your primary like doesn't know that that's how you view it. A lot of times the primary goes, I am your number one and you see other people, but you're not going to care about them as much as you care about me ever. You know, whereas that other person is like, no, I want a harem of like other women yeah. I will take care of. Like that is my second wife. Uh, so that's something that they often have to figure out. Uh, and in that case, he like ended up dating like other people. At the end of the day, when I talked to him last, he was like, I'm in group therapy with both of my wives. They're in therapy together. And then I do one on one therapy with each of them. And then I do my own therapy session. And that's, I think, when you're doing polyamory wrong, uh, it shouldn't. <laughs> cause that much therapy. I, I mean, it's definitely not easy, but if you're like going to the therapist four times because of your multiple partners, you may, you might want to like break things down differently. Yeah. But yeah. I think a lot of the issues is that, you know, people, again, they, they want to kind of rush into a label or an idea of something and they don't think through the steps of, well, what does it actually mean to be a primary to you? And what does it mm -hmm. mean to me? Uh, and solo polyamory is always about starting anything, any conversation from that initial sort of point of view is what does this mean to you? And what does this mean to, you, to me? Even if it's the most basic of terms, you sit down and you go, so when I say I'm your friend, here's what I mean. And when I say I love you, this is what it means. And, you know, is that if I say I love you and it means this, is that okay with other people you're dating who you say I love you to? 
So it's just, I, you know, I think people think it's a lot of like sexy hotness and it's just a lot of like very, uh, aggravating conversation yeah it seems like a lot of talking it's a lot of talking (laughs) like it's and I do also date like kind of a lot of long distance people (laughs) so a lot of times people and especially during the pandemic people are just like wow so it's like really not about sex it's really like about human connection and it's like yeah yeah look at that yeah so you have to lay that out right from the start then has that ever like tripped up a relationship where you've had someone be like, can we just kind of like feel this out or? Yeah. I, I mean, I'm always really upfront about it because I mean, there's no point in like kind of holding it back at this point. And I I also feel like, I mean, people are going to follow me online or whatever. They're going to see that I talk about it. So it usually comes up and I do feel like dating women and non-binary people, they are way more understanding they already usually like have, have experience like being in maybe like non-traditional relationships or like seeing right. non-traditional relationship structures, but then uh, men are dumb. Uh, and sadly <laughs> I still give cis men the time of day. And that's when I've, I've noticed like the biggest problems come up is that they're the ones who tend to stereotype what poly women are like, mm. what like, or why a woman would want to be poly. Uh, that's when they start to kind of do this like man brain thing where they like feel like they need to mansplain my sexuality to me. And they're like, it must be because you have a bad relationship with your dad or, oh, it must be because actually you do want to be monogamous with me, but you think that you're going to trick me into being monogamous with you by saying you don't want to be monogamous (laughs) with me. So you're actually lying about what you want. And that's when it, like, I get tripped up in relationships and people, I'm just like, no, this is what it is. Like, I don't, you can go do this. And that's when, that's usually when I, I give up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There was a good line from your guardian article yeah. about <laughs> just like, yeah, men are stupid. Why would I possibly, why would I want to date more than one? I mean, <laughs> it was sad enough. I mean, the guy that, that I was engaged to, he was actually like the first man that I ever dated. I had only dated girls before that. I was I, I'm like, I don't know, I guess one of those like reverse, I'm like, the, me too. Yeah, like reverse little lesbian story. I was very like, yeah. <laughs> I was like very gay, always growing up, like all my cousins were always like, I would talk to my friends. And they'd always be like, when we were playing like kids growing up, and we played Spice Girls, like they'd always make me be Scary Spice because I was black. But for me, they would always make me be Sporty Spice because everybody knew I was gay. Like, <laughs> they were just like, no, you're yeah. not. No, you're not one of the you're you're the tomboy one. Like, come on. Nobody's like, we're, we all see what's going on here. Like you're the boy one. And so it wasn't until like, I was like 16, 17 that I, that I started dating that guy and was like, Oh my gosh, I guess like I can give men a shot. Like I can, I'm by, yeah, I'm not just gay. Like I thought from watching the L word since I was 12 years old, like, wow, I guess. Huh. <laughs> so I don't know. It's, it's just been a constant disappointment <laughs> to me <laughs> that it, that it worked and that I still Ex- like, you know, but I guess I, I try to mostly date queer eyes. I guess that helps. Yeah, that's what I know, too, from people in in my life. And obviously I operate in like a pretty queer space nowadays, but that a lot of people I know who are polyamorous and who identify as women, the men that they seem to find the most success with in terms of having these relationships are queer or bisexual cis men. Yeah, it's like they're, they're the ones who typically get it 
Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I think another one of those like stereotypes that men often throw on you when they see that you're like solo poly and also bisexual is, of course, the uni- the unicorn phrase, the unicorn mm. label, which, you know, I think every solo poly bi girl should have their own periods of claiming that term and throwing it away in disgust whenever you want. That's that's up to you. Everyone has that journey. I spent many years of my life being a proud unicorn. Now you would have to pay me a lot of money to do it. But like, that's one of those things where men are always sort of like, well, they're going to think like, what do I get out of this? And so you, you're just here to be a sex toy for me and this other woman that is my primary. Uh, and that's something I've run into. Like, I've actually had men say like, oh, you're like a sex toy. Like, it's so fun. And that's where it's like, oh, no, I'm a human being and this is gross. <laughs> yeah. uh, but queer guys, like bi guys, obviously get that too. Like they also like are in this sort of back and forth position where I think that's also sort of put on them in a way. Um, yeah. So I think they get it. Like you you don't want to, to see your sexuality like turned into someone's like toy or play thing. So I, I don't know. I, I'm kind of always upfront about like being queer and, and gay friendly. <laughs> and I find that that keeps a lot of the the assholes away. Like they're just kind of, they opt out when I like put too many rainbow flags because they're just like, no, I was just kind of looking for a fun weekend thing for me and my girlfriend. <laughs> We're not trying to be yeah. like gay for real. So. Right. Like, when you say that, it makes me think that some people, maybe that they have a, an open relationship, but they're not really polyamorous, but then they don't understand polyamory themselves. So they're going oh, yeah. after openly polyamory people and just using them as like a third. Yeah. Right. Is that yeah. a thing that happens? Oh, that's absolutely a thing. I mean, that, yeah. I mean, relationships are hard, poly, monogamous, whatever you want to do. Relationships are hard. And mm-hmm. I think often polyamory is used as a tool by people who are facing frustrations in their relationship, who have a million other issues in their relationship than, you know, the fact that they're monogamous, uh, but they think, oh, if we do this, if we open, it'll get better. Uh, and they, they usually don't actually understand polyamory or how it works. They really are just like looking for some other type of fulfillment or to answer other questions in their relationship. And then they want to bring you into it. Early on, I think like those are the horror stories I hear from so many people who are like, I tried polyamory. I went on a date with this guy from OkCupid. He lied to his girlfriend about this, this, and this. And then he said he wanted to break up with his girlfriend and be with me. And it's like, yeah, I've heard this story a million times because you got caught up in some guy who was like using a term so he could like manipulate his girlfriend into doing what he wanted. Uh, and that's yep. 100% real. And uh, we, I love holding those dudes accountable in the poly community. Uh, because we have to. But I, I do think some people like let that draw their entire experience of polyamory. They're like, no, that's all it can be is like people lying for their own fulfillment and their own joy. Uh, and, you know, it's all about what they want. And that it really isn't the case. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. 
So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. And that's where we went wrong on this podcast with uh, the first episode (laughs) that we tried to do on polyamory because we had this super funny comedian, lover to death, Chewy May, and Chewy came on and had just been through this experience where it was her first experience with what she thought was polyamory. Yeah. And it was a woman who was seeing both her and this other guy. And then the, the woman was like, never mind. I'm not polyamorous anymore. I'm just with Uh, this guy. I'm like, it doesn't sound like it was really a polyamorous thing to begin with. Yeah. No, that, that, so how are we talking about this? And that's like, (laughs) yeah. And that's, I think one of those things where, and you learn it sort of like how you learn to date in general, like what questions to ask, what flags to look out for. And now I'm at this point where like on a first date, I am just like, so how long have you been poly? And if I, honestly, I, I don't really date people who don't have poly experience at this point, but like, it's asking those questions of, why did you and your partner decide to be poly? And how do you guys define that? And I like to throw in hypotheticals. Like, let's say, you know, I wanted to take a trip with you. Is that something your partner would be comfortable with? And that is a simple thing that you can ask on a first date. Like, it's exciting. Like, oh, let's say hypothetically we got along and I wanted to take you to Palm Springs for a weekend. Would your partner be cool with that? And it's one of those questions where I have seen people go, oh my God, I've never thought about it. Like, I've never asked her. We've never talked about it. And that's when I realized like, oh, this is a couple that that really hasn't dug into polyamory. They aren't asking these conversations. They're not having these conversations. They're not asking these questions. And I am not about to sit here and be the person who figures that out for them. Right. You know, if you want to pay me to figure it out for you, let's all sit down and chat. But like, I feel like there might be a market for that. (laughs) I think that's like a side hustle. It's like polyamorous. uh yeah, consulting. I mean, <laughs> consulting. I mean, I I am an ex sex worker. When I lived in Chicago, I did sex work, and a big part of that was being a unicorn for pay for couples, which like really just turned into me routinely seeing like three couples that would just like that it, they were literally like it is like therapy when we see you, Ashley. Like our weekly session with you really is like so healing, and like we we feel so connected, and you help us refine that connection between each other uh, because a lot of it is. I am frankly people who are willing to actually have a legitimate threesome where they actually pay a sex worker instead of just like, you know, finding a unicorn on Tinder and being gross about it. Yeah. Uh, right. People usually are like having more open conversations and they really, you know, aren't just trying to like bring someone in the bedroom because like Cosmo told them it would be cool to have a threesome. Uh, it's more <laughs> about like a deeper experience for them. So I like that, that situation. And I liked kind of being there to be like, okay, like, here's how you can sort of balance the energies of a threesome. Cause I think threesomes are a thing people have to learn. You're not sort of built with the inherent knowledge of how to have sex with two people at once. Amen. It's yeah. You know, I, I hear the threesome <laughs> horror stories and I just want to be like, you just need a guide. <laughs> like right. just, you just need a guide <laughs> and, and it can really, you know, if the communication is there, it can be great. So you know, I think that, again, just kind of also gets into the tricky area of people are like, polyamory, it's all about threesomes and group sex. And it's like, it can be, yes. It, it can, yeah, and it's awesome. But that that still comes with, like, the same sort of burdens and responsibilities that, like, any sex have. You really need to just, like, be working in, like, 4D when it comes to, like, consent and what people are happy with. <laughs> it's not just, like, the fun of, like, the guy that you met on OkCupid who or like you know the girl who is like oh I just like have always like wanted to kind of try girls but my boyfriend said that if we're going to be open I can only date girls 
So like, you know, this is my chance to experiment. I have which, some of those friends. Yeah. That to me is I've lost friends because I, I hate that. And I am yeah. very vocal about being like, Oh, so your, your partner's a misogynist. Yeah. <laughs> um, right. Really? I have a friend who's allowed to have sex with me. Oh, but like, great. oh only <laughs> if he's like doing shows and is gone for the weekend. Oh, how thank you. <laughs> thank you, dear yeah. benevolent master so for gross. granting me your girlfriend's pussy while you're gone. Yeah. It just <laughs> I hate that version of of open relationships. I think it is so demeaning to women. I also think like I have stolen a number of women from their partners. Don't think I'm not a threat. Don't think yeah. right. Right. I'm a threat to your right. relationship. Because we can be like we we can steal your girl just as easily as some guy can. So right, I just I hate that version of it. And of course, there's never any stipulation like can he only sleep with guys? Like no, it's always just this very unfair thing that I think a lot of girls agree to. Because I honestly I don't know why you'd agree to that. But I uh, am a girl who dates girls, so I don't know. The idea of just having that be exclusive doesn't feel like a special treat to me. I guess. <laughs> like I was just like you can just date girls and also date the guys you want to date if you want. Yeah, so. get out of there. You'd mentioned the poly community earlier. <laughs> How do people find them? <laughs> uh, Is I, that just online spaces at this point? Yeah, and honestly, uh, yeah, poly community. The way that I use it, I mostly don't think that that is like a real entity. I don't like sort of want to even try to claim any sort of poly community just because there are so many like bad faith actors who use polyamory mm-hmm. yeah i also think that a lot of times the first thing that like comes to people's mind is like uh burlesque and like uh burlesque shows and i don't know like magic shows like gross like people who wear uh fedora hats that's like what <laughs> people think of when they think of polyamory so <laughs> I I just, I think if I am myself and I talk openly about polyamory, I can like break down those stereotypes and be like, no, we don't all do burlesque. We don't care about like musical comedy. Like, no, we can be poly and still be cool and dress nice and like have so funny to me. I just like that is what I picture like sometimes like this burlesque. There's like that, that guy who's like, oh, he's a comedian. He's so funny. Uh, Chris something he has a song that's like about polyamory and it's like literally the video in the song is just like a gross looking guy with a fedora and like a girl with like a turtleneck and like a weird half cut and it's just like literally like it's like just because I have bad hair doesn't mean that I'm polyamorous like just because (laughs) I I like to put puzzles together doesn't mean I'm polyamorous like just because I like Radiohead (laughs) and those are you know stereotypes of the term and I I am aware of them because I will actively work against them Uh, I want to reclaim it as something that can be black and cool (laughs) yeah (laughs) and not just in a way where it's like hotepi where like black guys are like these are my two queens and they serve me and my household. Uh, that's yeah. another kind of very popular form of polyamory where it's like a guy and like all of his girlfriends who make out. That is, again, something I, I would like to break down. I, I'd like to see more people like me, just normal yeah. people with like a few casual relationships and some serious relationships. Right. I I think that there's just so many different perceptions of polyamory because it kind of like reflects whatever circle you run in and the one polyamorous person in that circle and what their experiences 
are, you know? Yeah. So if you only have like one friend who's polyamorous and they're just like the worst at it. <laughs> yeah. Or, or they're having, but like, like it's very focused on, on sex and, and threesomes and, yeah. you know, just like playing with gender and sexuality. And they're like constantly, you're, you're like, how do you have time for all these things going on? And for a while I had a friend, I'm like, that was my perception of it. I was like, polyamory is like super intense. Yeah. I always get the like, I don't want to have to manage a Google calendar to date. <laughs> right. I, do you know the comedian uh, Robbie Hoffman? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Robbie has this great polyamory joke about about the scheduling thing, and she's like, these these polyamorous people they're not they're not judges, they're not they're not working jobs that require a lot of hours. You can't be a doctor and be polyamorous. You sure. don't have the time for it. Well, I mean, I I have dated some lawyers. Uh, I I do find actually that, that those people are the ones who are like really good at it. Like actually, it's it's a little surprising because the <laughs> best people at polyamory are the really traditional people who are like usually do have a primary. I mean, like your Will and Jada's. Like everyone knows yeah. secretly their marriage is open. Like they want to act like it's not, but everybody knows they're actually open and like they're totally discreet. And they know they have their boundaries, their rules. They've been doing it for a long time. You know, they they know their date nights. They're like, I see my other partner on Tuesdays and Thursdays and I work. And those are the relationships that are great to get into. They're hard to find like the actual legit just kind of like, yeah, we're married and we've been open for like 20 years couples. But when you find one, just, you know, lock it in, lock it in. I feel like a lot of that must exist in Hollywood and with celebrities and stuff. But then the other side of it is... That's what you want to uh, think. Everyone wants to think like, oh, polyamory, no, it's like this thing that only like famous people do. But you would be shocked like at some of the like couples and interests that I would see is just people who are like, yeah, I teach at this school or like, yeah, I work at yeah, a grocery. Right. I want to see the Boise community. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I also do tell people when they're like, oh, I just moved somewhere. There are like poly meetup groups that are like, you know, they're there. A lot of people like to use FetLife, but that to me is a I was going to ask about that. Yeah, I, I, I did the FetLife wave for a bit, but to me, I mean, it's so strictly kind of sexual. Is right. that an app for the square in the room here? <laughs> Fet, like fetish. It's been around forever. I actually know about it through Becca O'Neill. Yeah, they actually don't have an app. That's how old FetLife is. Yeah. Uh, it's just a website and it's like, okay. the graphic design is literally it has like, not been updated. has in... not been updated since like a live journal. Like it is. Okay, it's like a yeah. GeoCities yeah, Like very basic HTML and it's just like chat groups, but it's like, the real fetish people, like the mm-hmm. people who are like, I cannot share this on OkCupid because it would be a shame to my family if anyone found this about me. Um, but it also is like where people are just like, hey, I'm Polly and like me and my girlfriend want to do this or like, hey, we're going to do this. So, I, you know, I think if the sex aspect is a big part of it and I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I mean, I definitely have had stages throughout my polyamory where I'm just like, this is about me just sort of indulging in my pleasure center. Yeah, let's do this. That bet life is great for that. Uh, but if you want relationships with like people, it's a lot harder to find that amongst the like sea of people in leather mass on that website. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And there's no dedicated like app 
yeah for it and it feels like there couldn't be without it being co-opted yeah and it's like i anytime i would like meet someone i'd give them like a fake phone number like a google voice number because i was like i just don't feel comfortable with you having my real number yeah <laughs> like there's just something so like skeevy about the platform yeah it's like is everyone on here a cop that's like trying to bust someone i just it's weird I'm not going to lie. I went on a date with a guy who's bisexual like years back in Chicago. We went on a couple of dates. We had sex. And then afterwards, he asked me if he could show me his fet life. <laughs> and like, for oh. some reason, I just immediately got like less and less attracted to him. Like the more he talked about how much he loved fet life. Like, yeah, <laughs> it, I mean, if you use it, OK, but like being really into it seems a little I mean, I guess there are like. I would kind of like when I would use it, there were like, I think points or like competitions of like sexy videos. Like, yeah, I guess wow. they're, they're, that is a community. That is a legit community. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All respect to the FetLife community. Yeah. No, no disrespect. It was it's just yeah. um, I don't know. They need like better UX. They need a UI designer. Yeah, they they need, need like <laughs> some more contours that, to their graphics yeah every time i'm on it i just want to be like can someone turn a light on can we just yeah. like, can we just make it a little we have to do this like we're whispering like can we just <laughs> it just is the worst like and like the way that it's to do like if you want a bold stuff you have to do like old school html it just feels like secret codes you're sending and really you're just trying to be like oh cool are you a poly too it's yeah, yeah. In terms of explaining polyamory to people in your family or if like other people, you know, I, again, based on my uh, limited experience, my, my friends, moms do not understand it and do not. Yeah. They're just like w waiting for this phase to be, to over, be over when it's clearly not a phase and it's friends who are like, you know, in their mid thirties, they figured it out. They've arrived and they're like, this finally makes sense. This is who I am. And their moms are like, mm, just wait till baby fever happens or whatever it is. Yep, you know? That's my mom. She's very much like, oh, the second you want a baby, you're going to realize you need one person in your life. But I, I did just like straight up come out to my mom as like poly. Uh, also bisexual, because at the time she was very like, I don't understand. You had a lot of female friends in high school and now you see this guy. So I just like, I called her and was like, I'm bisexual, I'm polyamorous. It's usually the other way. It's like you had all yeah. those boyfriends in high school. How could you how, be gay? How could this be? <laughs> and she was just like, those weren't friends in high school. Oh my God, you had so many sleepovers. And I was like, yeah, they were all gay. They were I call them attachments, but. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I just came out and told her. And at first she was just kind of like, oh, so like you're a slut. Like she didn't get it. She was just kind of like, that's just a thing men say so they can get more pussy. And I was like, I'm getting more pussy than any man I'm dating. And she was like, don't ever say that to me. And then she hung the phone up. <laughs> she was like, I don't, don't, oh my gosh. And then she just hung up. And now and that was she, on Mother's Day. No. <laughs> and that was my gift to her. It was all the pussy I've been getting. The gift and, of truth. Yeah. And like now she kind of gets it more. Like she understands, like if, if I'm talking to someone, she'll be like, oh, is that a friend? She just calls anyone I date like a friend. So she's like a little more that I feel is like caring that she isn't just like, is this a boyfriend? Are you going to marry him? What's the deal? Like she kind of used to be, but she still, I think expects like, I think she thinks like, Oh, this girl's going to hit like 10 years from now and like have a baby and be like married. And I think she's just going to be like, 
I don't understand. Like you have a kid with someone who has a like another partner and you guys all like raise it in a like a commune or something. Like you need a tribe yeah. to raise a kid. And that actually sounds that's what I tell her. I'm like, you're you always told me I needed a tribe to raise a child. <laughs> so I'm building one. Kind of. <laughs> you inspired this. Yeah, like thanks. It's all actually your fault. <laughs> yeah, I wonder how that plays out. I mean, I guess, you know, to, to each their own and everybody figures out a way to make it work. But with having kids, if you want to be solo polyamorous, I mean, I know people who are solo monogamous, but single and they choose to have kids. So like, why should being yeah. polyamorous be, you know, any, any different? Yeah. And it, I mean, it's interesting because at the same time, I rarely date people with kids. Uh, but mm. that's just like a personally me, I'm not in a place where I'm trying to be around or involved with like, anybody's kid. But like, I do know poly people with kids and it's just kind of, you know, another thing they, they work out that, you know, they, they have to sort of work together to figure out like, how are we going to co-parent this child and explain to them like our situations. But to me, I don't know that that's never seemed crazy to me when like my life was like my dad lived in a different state with like his wife and I lived with my mom. So it was always kind of like, yeah, families can look like a lot of things. So yeah. What, what, who cares if like my mom has like a girlfriend and a boyfriend and like does this and like that's all my family. Is there any like good media representation mm. <laughs> Polly? God no. Uh, yeah, probably we, not. we have like God we have like nothing I, that is a good representation. I mean like Insecure tried really hard. Uh, they like had Dro yeah. uh, Molly dated a Polly guy and it was bad. Uh, because mm-hmm. they'd never talked about the boundaries and expectations of their relationship. Yeah, I can't even, I feel like there are some on some like major networks, but I feel like it's always like a, either trying to find someone for a threesome type story or like, I guess there is a escaping polygamy. Uh, oh my God, that's and- actually on our list. My girlfriend and I are obsessed with My Five Wives. Oh, all yeah. the So, yeah. I mean, there, I guess there are all of those shows, the like, the, the, yeah. the, like my three sister wives, but I don't really count those. I right. Mean, yes, they all fall under this giant umbrella that is polygamy. Yeah. But those shows, I mean, obviously they're reinforcing this idea of, of, a, of a patriarchy uh, right. where you are, you know, under a man who has multiple partners. So I do love shows like Escaping Polygamy because it kind of shows to me like the biggest difference between polyamory and polygamy, which people often like conflate together too. And yeah, polygamy is scary and it can be a very dangerous thing that is used against women and against children to keep them in abusive situations. So I think that's why it's really important that we have to be like clear about this language and about these terms and the differences because, you know, I like, like that was a big thing uh, in Utah, they were trying to to make polygamy legal and they tried to paint it as this very like, well, if gay people can get married, like you should allow poly people to like marry as many people as we want. And it's like, no, that wasn't like queer poly people who were trying to align with Mormons. That was Mormons who were like, we want to not get in trouble when we beat our children and wives. Right. So, <laughs> and I want to have multiple wives. So, you know, that to me is like, yeah, watch those shows to really kind of understand the difference. Um, but when it comes to like cool polyamory people, I don't know. I feel like we we get like an like a, a plot in high maintenance or something. Like there will be a high maintenance yeah, character right. who's like ordering weed, and then she's like, "These are my husbands," and you're like, "Oh, there it is." Yeah, we just have vignettes for now. Yeah, it's just I like guess. a like little character like character pieces of like oh, mm-hmm. but yeah, I, I 
I think we'll probably see like a male poly character. And I, I mean, that probably exists, just a guy who dates a lot of women and like doesn't believe in monogamy. That's like basically Don Draper, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> but like when it comes to like female characters who are poly, people just have such a hard time sort of grasping female polyamory that I, I feel like any TV show that tries to do that, like the woman is automatically painted as like this villain and like anti-hero and stuff where it's like, oh my God, she's a cheating whore. So, you know, that is my job. That's my goal in the future is to write that show that, that really kind of digs into it. I was going to say, yeah. I think Watch you're the person show. to do it. <laughs> I, will I, I finished the pilot today. It's called Dating the Zodiac. So. Oh, really? Yeah, that's, um, that. it's actually based on sort of when I moved to Chicago and like found myself in an opportunity to kind of be openly poly, I still wanted to date a lot of different people. So I came up with this experiment to date every Zodiac sign a month at a time for a year. Oh my God. Which was crazy. But I also had very like strict rules. Like everyone knew that I was dating other people. You could only date for the month that I was dating your sign. So like if I met a Taurus I really liked and you know, the next season came up and it's like, well, sorry, you guys, it's we're moving on. Like it's Gemini season now. Sorry. <laughs> so there it is. Whoa. And you really did this? Yeah. yeah. I had like full graphic charts. I, it was like, I'm really into astrology. So I actually like, it was a little scientific, like instead of dating people during their sun season. So like, you know, right now it's Leo season. Uh, yeah. I didn't date Leos during Leo season because who wants to like date someone during their birthday month? Like that's gross. Like it just, to me, it was like that forces too much intimacy too quickly. Too many presents. Yeah. yeah. Too many presents. Like you're going to have like, other people in your life being like happy birthday so i dated them when venus was in their sun sign so when venus was smart leo i was like oh they'll be like feeling the attraction they'll be like wanting to date (laughs) uh so this was in 2016 so i think at the time it was like two months after that person's sun sign was when i'd be dating them so like fresh off that birthday glow i'd be like hey i heard you're like a leo you want to date or go on and i would like explain kind of what i was doing uh, they could give me their full natal chart and I would graph it out in this giant spreadsheet, like literally just being like, Mars isn't Sagittarius. They're like, their Venus is in this. And I would graph it all out uh, and then just like kind of keep track of just like the dates, what I thought of them and like with the people I was seeing. Did yeah. you earn a doctorate by the end of this? No. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like someone should have handed you one. This seems like a very controlled experiment. <laughs> I did earn a trip to intensive outpatient therapy. Uh, <laughs> Congrats. And, uh, I got a new therapist at the end of it who was just like, yeah, let's talk about this. I would like to. <laughs> but it was, I, I don't know. For me, I just wanted to like see what it was like to like kind of date different people and people that I I'd never dated like an Aquarius before. And I was like, what's this going to be like? Or is it even going to be like anything different? Or is it just me? Do I suck? Is that the dating issue? But obviously throughout it all, I was poly because I was being very open about like who I was seeing and like telling people um, some of the people from that experiment I do still see actually. Nice. So some good came from it. (laughs) (laughs) I want to know what signs, how they played out. Oh gosh. That's always people's thing is like, which one was the worst? Yeah. Uh, I guess on a technicality, (laughs) uh, the Virgos uh, were the worst, but only because I could not get a Virgo to go out with me when I explained my, my experiment, every Virgo was like, <laughs> I am better than this. Uh, this is a mess of a thing. Uh, your, your first of all, your charts aren't even organized very well. <laughs> uh, so every Virgo was just like, no, thank you. Uh, so I, that, that is, I think a good sign for them. Uh, they just opted out <laughs> of my bullshit, which I think is on par with Virgos. 
And then I would say Tauruses. Surprisingly, clicks there. Love Tauruses. I like they were the ones who kind of made me believe in love and go like, oh wow, like the universe can be a beautiful place full of people who don't suck and are wonderful. Uh, I love Tauruses. And then I guess the worst. You know what? I'll do my fair worst answer, which is Sagittarius. I am a Sagittarius, <laughs> and I will claim that yeah, we they, we're awful and. <laughs> My my wife's a Sagittarius and she's my first Sagittarius and I I love it. I we're like I mean we are literally only half human and I think like we're great when we're around not other Sagittariuses but when you put us together we're just like yeah ah, like what no do we fight are we into this do we run wild together no I want to do this way you do your thing I don't care and it's like Sagittarius is so uh, responsive to other energies in your chart so like a Sagittarius with an Aries moon is going to be so different from like a Sagittarius with a Libra moon. So it's just like, you, you never know what you're going to get with us. There's just so much variation. Oh, I just looked it up. My Venus is in Sagittarius. So is mine. <laughs> Have a hard Love time it. staying steady, always looking for the, the next exciting thing. Yeah. Also, we're very messy, apparently, when it comes to our rooms. That's like a big stereotype of oh, okay. Sagittarius. That checks out. I used to like eat constantly in my bed and I like, I feel like there was a period in my life where I would be like, what's the most dangerous food I can eat in my bed? Like, can I eat <laughs> oysters that I ordered and not spill all over? But that also could be depression. <laughs> yeah. I mean, as someone with depression, I'm like, mm. yeah, that actually, that's... <laughs> that may not be the stars that could just be mental. Yeah. Illness. That's a depression thing. Cause my <laughs> girlfriend does not have her Venus. It's Sagittarius and is constantly eating in bed and that's a quarantine habit we are trying to break here just yesterday i was like i can balance these tacos on my knee and like... <laughs> so how how has quarantine changed everything and you talk about this a little bit in your article but a lot of people were making polyamory jokes at the beginning of quarantine who either like were the one person not quarantined with the other two yeah. or <laughs> Or it's, I mean, it has been tough. Like, I think kind of, even when I wrote that piece, I was like, this is hard, but I at least am in a place where I am thankful to have partners who I'm emotionally connected to and we can FaceTime and it feels really good. And like, you know, we did like distance dates where we'd eat outside, like kind of far apart. Um, but, you know, now it's getting to the part where I'm like, oh, I miss the physical part. Like I miss, yeah. uh, I miss that. Uh, and it's yeah. very difficult when it's like, obviously, if you're going to be poly, you're all adults, you get tested regularly, you, you know, you keep your partners informed. Uh, it's mm -hmm. a lot harder when it's like, so do we all like take COVID tests every week? Like what? I like how right. do we yeah. make sure that, you know, I am not asymptomatic or, you know, that, you know, your partner isn't going to go see someone who has an immune disease. Like, and then in the end, at the end of the day, just, it's constantly like, it's not worth it. <laughs> It's a huge right. project. As much, yeah, as much as I like love all my partners and want to be with them and want to be able to like cuddle and do everything, it's like at the end of the day, is this really so worth it for your like primaries grandma to maybe get sick? Like, no, it's not. So yeah. you know, yeah, with, with COVID, it's so much more different than testing for STDs or anything because it's like the second you walk out of the the clinic, yeah. you could catch COVID. <laughs> you could catch COVID. So <laughs> I mean, like in my, one of my partners and I, we tried so hard to put a schedule together. Like we were sitting there like, okay, I've been quarantined since this date. And if you were to quarantine until this date, like then maybe two weeks from this date, we could see each other. And then if we got tested two weeks from that date, 
And then the protest started and I was like, I'm, we're not going to quarantine and miss protests so we can maybe right. have sex a month from now. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, that's, you can't know. Like, I, I, and one day yes. your kids are like, where were you during the protest? <laughs> like quarantine so I could get laid. I was quarantining so I could get laid and fuck my yeah. third boyfriend. You know, it was, I was working <laughs> a Google sheet. In yeah. bed alone. Just like bed alone. You know, I was <laughs> like, oysters. Black lives matter, but my black sex life matters. So. It does, though. It does. Yeah. It, but it does. But I mean, at the end of the day, it's just always kind of like, it's not worth it. Like, it will be able to see each other at some point. You know, like, I don't know. For me, it's like, do you wait until there's a vaccine? It's like the whole questions that everyone is like dealing with right now of like, what are you comfortable with? Like, I think eventually I think we're all going to like find our little bubbles and be able to be like, we feel safe. Like I'm only seeing these people or like, I'm still quarantining in this way. So it's just been so much math and I hate math. So (laughs) what are your favorite things about solo polyamory and then your least favorite thing? Uh, My favorite thing. I mean, it really is being alone, honestly. (laughs) Uh, I, I've always been someone who just kind of values my free time, my alone time, my ability to just kind of like sit and binge 90 episodes of 90 day fiance and just like watch the TV I watch and write the things I have to write. Um, I like to travel when I want to travel. Um, and I, I like that freedom and, and like, you know, it's not like a lack of responsibility. You still have responsibilities to your partners, but I don't know. I feel like it means more to them when they know how much it means to me to like do those things for them. Uh, Because they know like, oh, she really is prioritizing me because this bitch really could be doing whatever she wants right now. And I guess my least favorite part, I mean, it it just comes back to like the stereotypes and sort of stigmas associated. And I I know I said already that a lot of that comes from like cis men who like just can't even believe that a woman would do this. But like a lot of it does come from family. A lot of it does come from like other women who, you know, think that you're lying to yourself or that you don't have self-worth or you you don't think that you know you're you're settling for less than you deserve that's something i run into a lot like there'll just be complete strangers who are like you need to love yourself and you can find a monogamous partner who will give you what you deserve and i'm just like what i have i have like four partners (laughs) who give me what i deserve what are you talking about that that makes me think too we've had listeners ask about who are in polyamorous relationships and for them the difficult part is co-workers and I hadn't oh. thought of that when you have like oh, work yeah. parties or coworkers are always like talking a little bit yeah. or asking you like, do you have a boyfriend? Do you have a girlfriend? Yeah. How do you, you don't want to talk to them about your polyamory. I, I guess like I kind of lucked out because for a lot of it, when I lived in Chicago, I worked at the onion and I literally like, it was the onion. Like they would, we would have hol- <laughs> holiday parties. And I remember just like emailing the front desk girl and being like, Hey, can I get like two RSVPs? I don't know which partner I'm bringing. Like, I don't know who I'm like, can you just like give me the thoughts on the thing? I was just like, I don't know which boyfriend I'm bringing. Like, oh, this is my girlfriend and this is like her partner. Uh, It was The Onion. It was very like, everyone was cool with that. Very liberal comedy. Uh, Now I work at a tech company. um, Mm. And if any of my coworkers know I'm poly, it is only because they read my articles and don't tell me about it. (laughs) Because I don't bring it up. Uh, It's not something I've ever wanted to describe in a workplace because right. I mean, I, they barely understand like me being a queer, like, or even like a comedian, gender non-conforming <laughs> comedian yeah. and presenting person. Like they're just kind of like, I barely understand why her pronouns say she, her, they, them in her email. Like 
trying to explain polyamory to them would be like, I think they, I, I don't even know. I think they'd just be like, are you a sex slave or something? We don't understand. <laughs> so I, yeah, I mean, I, luckily I'm one of those people who like I write and do comedy. So like I very much separate my personal life and my day job life. So for me, I don't care. Like I don't even go hang out with my coworkers. Nice. But I am like, I, you know, I, that's like kind of a privilege. I never really considered that I like worked with these crazy weird comedy people who were just like, yeah, we're cool with you bringing like a different person to every single thing all the time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I wonder, man, I'm just thinking like holiday parties, how many, how much stuff that that drags up to for either like new polyamorous yeah. couples or like what, what, what if you're somebody who works at one of those companies that really throws a rager for for yeah, Christmas and then I, everybody's like trying to get the RSVP that actually I mean the onion holiday parties were like famous for being these like big ragers and like my partners would be like well who's it gonna be like what right and, it, and then like if it that's wasn't like a that, reality it, show competing yeah. for that <laughs> or, like I, I mean I work in advertising so I would get to like go to like a lot of happy hours that were sponsored and it would be like right who which one are you gonna like bring and I mean, there have been points where I have partners who are chill with all hanging with each other. And I'm like, oh, everybody can come to this. I don't care. Uh, But there are times when it's very much like you're my date to this. Or I mean, I've also kind of had the reverse issue where someone I'm seeing wants to bring me to their work event. uh, But Mm. they have a primary who expects to go or, you know, something like that. And Mm. they're a little like, well, I should be allowed to like bring another partner. So I have like navigated that. And I don't know. I guess my advice would be, oh, don't try to navigate that. Just say no. Just opt out. Like this, <laughs> just yeah. If yeah. someone's primary gets bad, my advice is to just walk away. It's never worth it. Yeah, and wedding Sound invites advice. too. Now I'm thinking about all the things. For you. <laughs> yeah, that is actually that's a question I like to ask uh, people I go out with when they have primaries. Is I if they're not married or like if they are, I'll just say, okay, let's say our relationship goes well how would your primary feel about me being at your wedding? Like if I, like if I love you and I support you being with this primary, like I, and I was there in full support of your union, how would they actually feel about me being there? And that's like one of those questions where they're just all of a sudden like, Oh, I would have to yeah. write. Cause like, if this was a real relationship, you would have to know my friends and my family and you would come to something like that. Oh, <laughs> Oh, this um, is real life. Yeah. Like, Oh, right. And you know, sometimes if, if they're Ben Polly and they're married, they're like, Oh, of course you would have been. We had people at our wedding who were partners of ours. Like, yeah, I've run it. And that's like, that's when I'm like, Amen, we can do this. Yeah. And a lot of times it's like, Oh, I never even thought of that. Like, no, she probably wouldn't like that. And if that's like what I hear, I'm just like, Oh, well then this isn't a thing. Like you're just looking for someone that your partner's okay with you sleeping with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are there any other kind of red flag questions that you put out there? Yeah, I, I actually, I like have written like I in my newsletter one time, I did like a huge thing of just like red flags. I think the biggest one is anyone who talks shit about their primary partner. Um, Ooh, that is a giant a red too. flag. And it's one that people don't often think about. I've realized like, you know, if you're hanging out yeah. with someone and they're just like, oh, my, my partner, this, my girlfriend, this, my boyfriend, this, you know, you have to imagine what are they saying about you to this person? Like what, you know, and also like, I do believe a good boundary in any sort of poly relationship is that you get to have privacy with your partner. Uh, Even if you have a primary, your primary doesn't get to know everything about my life. Uh, That's something that you have to be kind of really upfront about with people because I've had situations where I'm dating someone and then I talk to, you know, their girlfriend and they know everything about me. And I'm just like, I never said that was okay to share with this person. Like our relationship is ours. So 
that's a big boundary for me. That's a big red flag because it's like, if this person is willing to disrespect their main relationship like this with you, they don't care about you. They are just looking to vent about their main partner. Uh, that's a big flag. That's huge. Yeah. That one, I think another big one is, I guess I could pull the list up I wrote, but I, I'll just, I'm <laughs> going to just off the dome uh, from my own horrible experiences. Another big rule that I have is, and this varies kind of, but I do initial dates sober. Mm. A lot of people I've noticed who are poly or non-monogamous, uh, they are kind of reliant on drugs and alcohol. I mean, I smoke weed, whatever. If we're on our first date and you want to like smoke a joint, that sounds cool. Uh, but like, I would notice this kind of trend of poly people being like, oh, we're going to go to this party. We're all going to get like shit faced and then maybe we'll have an orgy or like, oh, you know, like I my girl gets like super drunk and then she's cool with me going out with people. And I just was really uncomfortable with sort of the reliance placed on alcohol for people to be poly. Um, I don't think you should have to get drunk to the point of being blackout for you to feel comfortable sleeping with someone other than your main partner. Like if that's the case, maybe you don't want to actually do this. Yeah. And then you're not getting your answers to your red flag questions. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm not, so I'm not getting answers. Like, I'm just like, Oh, clearly like you rely on alcohol to make this happen. So this might not be what you really want. So now I like do a rule where like our first date is going to be somewhere where like, you know, we can try to stay sober. Just like, I've, you know, I'll be like, I'd request that we like not get shit faced tonight, which has been a weird one just because people, anytime you say like, oh, I don't want to drink, people are like, are you an alcoholic? Like, oh my God, right. what's wrong? Yeah. Um, but I think like if you're poly and you are sort of following into those like patterns and that I think is, it also kind of goes along with like the fet life and the poly meetup kind of vibe where it's like very sexy. So people want to drink and do drugs. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, like I was dating this couple and it was like every time we'd want to hang out, they couldn't even like, just watch a movie in their apartment without being like, we have this much Coke and this much Molly and all this, the fridge is full of alcohol. And I was just like, y'all don't want to just make a salmon dinner and chill. Like we can't just (laughs) like, y'all got to get messed up to, to feel okay with me just like hanging out in your space. (laughs) Like, come on, chill out. Um, So that's the flag I have. It varies so much for people. And I think that's kind of like the other rule for me is that, there really is no standard for polyamory. Don't ever let someone tell you this is how polyamory works or this is what you have to be comfortable to be poly. Don't like, I think that is a trap a lot of women who want to be poly get into. Um, if it's a thing where like their male partner has introduced them to it, uh, or if it's a situation where it's like you can date women, but not, you know, anyone you want. Uh, a lot of people get these ideas in their head of, oh, polyamory is this specifically, or if I feel jealous then I'm not a good poly person, which isn't true. You can be as jealous as you want and be poly. Like jealousy is healthy and normal. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's about sort of addressing it honestly and bringing it up honestly and talking to your partners about it instead of letting it like fester inside of you and turn into something worse. So, you know, a lot of people I talk to are like, well, you know, my my partner said that I'm bad at this because I, I feel jealous when he goes on dates or uh, my partner gets more dates than me and I, I feel bad about it. And that makes me feel like I'm not a good poly person. And it's like, no, those are all fear, fair feelings. Like, yeah, it is frustrating when like someone you're dating gets more dates than you. And that's like an insecurity that you have to really address with yourself. And there is no clear cut answer with how you're going to work through that feeling. But it's a feeling that's legit that you're going to have to work through. And it's not right for some partner or someone else to tell you, oh, well, you're bad at polyamory like this. You're just bad at this. Like, you know, yeah. or you're not really poly because you like feel jealousy or have a hard time with this. Uh, No, like all of those sort of experiences and finding it are valid. 
So to me, it's always like, hey, you know, and yeah, I did shit on women who are in open relationships who only can date women. I did. But hey, if that is, you know, where you find your truth and where you find your happiness, to me, there's no wrong way to go about doing that. So yeah, yeah. But your husband, like your partner is a misogynist. How are you okay with it? <laughs> right. Well, Just explore it, it. Yeah. <laughs> if it comes if it comes from the the woman, that's like a different thing. If she's like, oh, yeah. I don't want to deal with dating other men, True. but like you know, women is a safe, happy space for me, so I'm just gonna play there. Yeah, <laughs> like, if it's if that is the case, then definitely. But gosh, just don't let anyone else tell you how to be poly. Don't let a partner right. tell you, oh, you can be poly this way, or to be poly, you got to do it this way, or you got to be cool with this. No, being poly doesn't mean you have to say yes to every threesome your partner wants. Like, no, you yeah. group sex is not inherent in polyamory. Like, that's not part of the deal all, with, all the time. So I think that is the trap people get into is that they get with someone who is acting in bad faith, who's using polyamory for their own means, and then disaster. Yeah. Yeah. That's such a great piece of advice. And it feels like like knowing what your boundaries are and what you're comfortable with and what you want and having that come first is so important. Do you ever find yourself wanting to compromise your, your boundaries for, for certain people? Yeah. Just like we all do sometimes, right? Like even in monogamous relationships. Yeah. Like even in monogamous, you want to believe like, this is who I am. These are like, what, this is what I stand by. And then you meet someone and you're just like, fuck it all. I'll do whatever you want. Like whatever it is. Yeah. And yeah, you know, I think being solo poly, like that progress for me is a bit more staggered. Like I'm not immediately like head over heels because like right from the bat, I'm going to be like, these are my boundaries. And this is kind of the outline of my relationship. And like, no, we're not ever going to be in a place where like, I am your one and only and you're my one and only. So like, you know, that kind of helps. But I have had situations where I like kind of have to take a step back and I'm like, I, this relationship has turned me into someone that I'm not like, mm. and I think that happens in monogamous relationships. You yeah, kind of realize like for sure. you compromise and compromise and you give and give. And like, you know, it's not always as simple as just like, oh, this person wants me to be monogamous. Like that is a thing I am willing to compromise on. I'll be monogamous with you for a year, six months, three months, if that's like what it takes for us to get to know each other. But like, if at the end of that, you're not cool with us going back to something open or kind of realizing who I am, then this isn't going to work long term. I think that is where a lot of people will think, oh, but she'll compromise. Like if she's willing to be poly for three months, then at the end of this, she'll be poly for the rest of her or she'll be monogamous for the rest of her life with me. It's like, I'm not going to compromise on that. But I mean, things like, I don't know, like I have had partners where I like, you know, I said I hate like being primary, secondary, but I have had partners who are like, for me it means a lot for me to call you my secondary or for me, you know, it, it helps me to make sense of this. If I can think of it this way and I'll be like, okay, for you. Okay. But this is for yeah. you. I do not consider consider myself your second anything. So yeah, I learned so much. Uh, yeah, yeah. I was like, wait, all my questions were answered. Right. Wow. You're such a great person to talk to this about. And thank you so much for spending the time with us to talk to us and our listeners. I'm thank sure our you. listeners are going to really love this conversation and love I this episode. So. Oh, yeah. I think so. Because yeah. there, there are a lot of misconceptions and questions about it. And it's something a lot of people are interested in. And there is no, like, one source to find all the right yeah. answers. I will say, uh, Coming Out by Tristan Tormino is a great book to read. Uh, I have an autographed copy. It's kind of like 
Yeah. Other than the ethical slut, which yeah, everybody's going to do however you yeah. think. Eh. I kind of think opening up is a bit better because it really shows you that monogamy or monogamy and polyamory aren't these sort of set in stone acts. Like if you mm-hmm. are a monogamous couple, but you agree like one Saturday every three years, you both get a hall pass. That's a form of non-monogamy. Mm-hmm. Like, and I think helping people think of it more that way, like swingers, people who are kind of, you know, engaging in these more alternative lifestyles are also non-monogamous. I think that's a way for people to kind of understand like, oh, this is something that can fit in my life. Or I have been unhappy with like traditional monogamy and maybe the, there are sort of easier options than becoming full poly and having like 10 boyfriends or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> They're in between steps. Yeah. I feel like I've just realized you, weirdly more similarities between poly and monogamous relationships than I expected to through this yeah. conversation. We're, yeah. uh, you know, Ultimately communication. You know, the monogs, they, they come at me a lot, but really we're, we're more similar than different. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. I love it. Uh, where can people follow you on social media? Uh, at the Ashley Ray on everything. Just love the it. Ashley Ray.com even. Yeah. <laughs> it's a great follow. Get on it. Never uh, a dull moment. <laughs> <laughs> See, we told you she was awesome. I learned so much and I'm I'm a little poly curious now. Shh. I have to say that quietly. Yeah. You got to whisper that. I know. I know Allie's home. <laughs> Allie's home. And I'm. Allie also second. listens to this podcast. I love her. Most supportive. Oh my God. That's true. I just Most kidding, supportive honey. girlfriend. I mean, curious to learn. Curious. Curious to learn. To learn. Oh, <laughs> uh, shall we talk about someone else? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Let's move on to someone else. This week's listener question. So a few years ago, I met this girl. As time went by, we went through a lot of stuff together. And throughout all our issues, we were in it together. Us against the world. She was my best friend. And she was one of the most important people to me in the entire world. Sadly, she just talked to me less and less until one day altogether. One night, she reached out to me for help. I was really concerned because she had depression and occasional suicidal thoughts, so I did all I could to get in touch with her. I did this for about a month straight, every day, stressing myself out, having panic attacks, and crying from being so worried about her until one day she responds and gives me a text back saying that she didn't have her phone with her. To this day, I try to stay in contact with her because I really thought that we meant something to each other, but now she doesn't talk to me at all and I find myself still thinking about her. All of that was five years ago. Everyone I know says I should just forget about her and move on, but I can't. It just hurts. I'm new at being a lesbian, and honestly, I'm just scared that I will never meet anyone like them. What should I do? I hope that you never meet anyone like them. I know. (laughs) Again, this person is an emotional terrorist, and for context, our dear sweet listener uh, is... 19. So to say all this started five years ago means they were 14. And it it was actually hard to tell from the email because we did pare it down a little bit. Like, was this even a intimate, like a sexual relationship? No. It, It sounds emotionally intimate. This is the type of relationship I was referring to in last week's listener question. That is just like an intense, toxic friendship slash maybe relationship with everything but the intimacy, physical intimacy. Yeah, this person, uh, I've 
seen this play out with friends in intimate relationships where there was somebody who is depressed and will kind of do that, you know, not being in touch and then like reach out and then make you think the worst and like afraid that they're gonna for a month kill themselves and and make you feel emotionally responsible for this other person's mental health. And then for her not to get back to you and say she wasn't by her phone, obviously that was bullshit. Yeah. She wasn't by her phone for a month. Yeah. In this day, like, fuck no. This person is garbage. All of your friends are right. You need to move on. And you're saying you can't. You need to cut this out like a cancer. This person is is a cancer. Every time you find yourself wanting to think about them, have have a plan in place, have a list of things that you can think about instead. And I know that sounds stupid or have maybe a friend that you call every time you get down this like nostalgic past. But what you're nostalgic for is a very bad thing. You're, you're 19. You have so much of your life ahead of you. You will meet other people. So uh, many. Yeah. The, new people to meet. It's not, it's not ridiculous or anything that you are hung up on this person. Uh, a lot of times, a lot of us get hung up on people who we made like a deep, our deepest connections to in our formative years. You know, there, I know I spent years hung up on somebody that when I was, you know, 17, 18, felt like we created a, a bond that I never had with anybody else. And and that's really hard to let go, even though it's clear that the other person has moved on. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. And has let go. And then you try to convince yourself, well, like maybe this or, or maybe that. But if somebody's into you, they're into you and they, they let it be known or somebody wants a relationship with you. It's, it's easy. And when it's this hard, it means this person is, is just there to fuck with you that you're, you're not, never going to get what you want or what you need or what you deserve. Most importantly from this person, cut these toxic people out of your life, move on, make a list of things to talk about, make a, have a TV show that you can turn to that, that makes you happy. When you start thinking about them, go watch an episode or something to get your mind off. There are lots of things that you can do to just kind of train your brain to, to stop thinking about it. I don't know. What do you think, Melody? I mean, you just (laughs) said it all, Carolyn. just ticking off anything I was going to contribute as you were talking. I mean, this one triggered me maybe a little yeah, bit. Yeah, clearly. You're a little red. I'm not kidding. You're a little red right now. <laughs> I, I just feel bad. I feel that this person sounds, this listener sounds super this sweet. This is an emotional you know? vampire. We're watching yeah. someone being tricked by an emotional vampire. You were concerned about her mental health to the point where you were having panic attacks and crying from being so worried. It's now your mental health that you should be concerned with. You should not be having panic attacks over a friend that you set out to comfort. You know, this is, this person has some demons and you don't need the residual demons from this person. Exactly. Well, if you have a question, you can send it to us, dykingout at gmail.com. And if you're a, a patron, make sure you mention that because then your questions go to the top of the list. Or if you have a question you need answered right away, you can go to wizio.com, W-I-S-I-O.com slash dykingout for a, a more personalized response. You can follow us at dykingout on all the social medias, on TikTok, even though we have nothing there yet, but don't you want to be there when we do? Don't you want to be there on the ground level for Diking Out TikTok at Diking Out Pod? 
And if you can find whoever has at Diking Out, tell them what they're doing is, is wrong. And they yeah. need to, to hand that over. You can follow me at TGI Carolyn. You can follow me at Melody Kamali. And Dyke Out with us again next week. Be kind to one another. Bye. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics, and sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot-button issues. And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.